Now I'm going to read the first three verses of the first chapter of Daniel. That's an Old Testament book after the book of Ezekiel. And so you'll find it and read along with me. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. By the way, Babylon is, ancient, is the ancient city which is now Bag, Baghdad, isn't that right? Where um, another king lives tonight, at least for a while. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. Put your finger there and pause with me for this introduction. The little nation of Holland was a prime target for the Nazis as Adolf Hitler began his march across Europe to dominate the world. And from that ter terrible period in history, two books emerged, written, both of them written by young women. And they chronicled the terrible suffering that this sadistic, insane man wreaked upon the world and of the fact that one of the great prices that is paid for the devastation that war causes is the interruption and the destruction of families. And these two families that are a part of these two books were, were destroyed and interrupted. Their lives were violated. One of the books was written by a little Jewish girl by the, nana, by the name of Anne Frank, and many of you have read that book or seen the movie, The Diary of Anne Frank. The other book was written, the title is The Hiding Place, and it is a story written by Corrie Ten Boom of her own life, a little Dutch girl hiding with her father and her family from the Nazis, and one day they were found and deported, taken off their their homes interrupted, their lives violated, and they were taken off to these horrible concentration camps. There her father and her, her sister died, but she lived on to tell this story, to tell her story. Now the fall of Holland, the fall of Holland was probably, you don't remember it, most of you. Most of you weren't even born when that happened. And, everything, and, and so many terrible things were happening in the world during that time that the fall of Holland was just one little glitch on the screen. But it represented the breakup of homes and families so that behind the, 
the destruction of this nation are these untold stories of families interrupted and broken and, and, and violated and destroyed. So much like the fall of the Jews to Babylon. It happened in 606, and after three months of fighting with, Bab- with the, the, the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Judah, Jehoiakim, handed the flag of Judah over to this Babylonian king and surrendered. And behind the scenes are all these families that are affected by the fall. Tonight, we're going to begin the study of a family that was drastically affected by this, the family of Daniel. He's just a teenager. He's probably 14 to 16 years of age. Some even think he was at, you know, as young as 13 years of age. And there's a lot of emotion behind this, this, this experience, this tragedy. Can you imagine what it would have been like if you had a 13-year-old boy, a 14-year-old son, and one day a pagan nation came and took that son of yours away to some strange land a thousand miles away, and you probably would never see him again, and you knew that. Now Daniel leaves a diary, and the first chapter is the diary of that. He just He just saves us the horrible details of what that must have been like to him and to his family. Now I want to give the the historical background. It occurred in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim. And when Nebuchadnezzar won the first battle and conquered Jerusalem, he besieged it and deported these Jews to the land of Babylon. The scripture says, because the Jew wants to make sure that we understand the sovereignty of God, that he gave Jehoiakim over into the hand of the Babylonian king as punishment for the sin of this nation. But these Babylonians touched the Jews in a way that hurt them severely. They touched the house of God. They went into the house of God and they took certain vessels and certain ornaments that were sanctified to God and they took them off to the land with these young men among whom was Daniel. Now beginning of verse 4, I want to read through verse 6. Some of the royal family and the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. 
And to Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego, or Abednego. Now I want you to notice, I want you to get the picture, and get it clear here in this introduction, that there was a definite choice made by the king of Babylon to pick certain men, young men. And it wasn't just that he gathered up all the young people and took them off to, the, to exile in Babylon. He, this was a calculated choice, and he picked out certain men, some of them of the royal family. And there seems to be an indication in verse 6, since he names these four men in that context, these four boy young men, that these were of the royal family. They were of royalty, including Daniel. So the choice was carefully made. And you have these teenagers purposely chosen so that they would be vulnerable and non-resistant to this three years of brainwashing that was going to take place. And they were exposed to the multiple gods of Babylon. Now verse 4 tells us something about these boys. First of all, it says they were good looking. They had no deformity, no defect at all. They were handsome young men. And they were intelligent in every branch of wisdom. Not only were they brainy, they weren't nerds. They weren't just brainy, they, were, they had good common sense. And that's what it means that they were skilled in intelligence and knowledge. They were keen and bright and sharp. And they had a dignity about them. They had been exposed to nobility, and they knew what it mean to, meant to function in the king's court. And these strong and handsome, intelligent, bright, keen, young, 14-year-old men were carried off into Babylonian captivity because this Babylonian king wants to show to the court that he's able to take the best that Judah has and literally transform them into good Babylonians. Notice verse 4 says, that he commanded the, the, the official to teach them the language of the, of the Chaldeans. They're going to begin to speak that language. And he told them to teach them the literature, literally the book. And it refers to the whole philosophy of the Babylonian lifestyle. Please watch this and get to it. They're to be taught the Babylonian way of life. And they're to be taught this book that contains the entire Babylonian philosophy that included medicine and law and math and astronomy and 12 other solid courses. And there were no electives and they had to take courses in magic designed to turn them to the philosophy of the Babylonians. They changed their tongue. And they gave them a three-year graduate course, grilling them and drilling them in the Babylonian philosophy. And at the end of the three years, they made eunuchs out of them. They emasculated them. And they took away their manhood. And they removed from them that, that privilege, that dignity. I can't imagine anything that is more indignant 
than that. And they gave them responsibility and schooling in this glorious environment of a world capital. Let me read what H.I. Hester has to say about Babylon. He said, what kind of a world was this new home of theirs? Compared to the poor little country of Palestine, it was a big, rich, and prosperous country. Here the Jews found an advanced culture, big business, materialistic splendor. Babylon, the chief city, was one of great wealth and magnificence. It was the center of a vast empire, including all of Mesopotamia and the highlands beyond, as well as Syria and Palestine. The city of Babylon was on the monotonous plains by the banks of the Euphrates River. Ancient writers describe it as a city surrounded by four walls so thick that you could park four chariots abreast on them, each 15 miles in length. Twenty-four streets ran north and south, the same number, east and west. In this way, each street terminated at a gate in the wall, a hundred of these. And the city was thus made up of more than 600 square blocks. It is said that in the center of each square was a garden. The city contained many elaborate and expensive buildings, such as palaces and temples, To relieve the homesickness of his wife for her native hills, Nebuchadnezzar constructed at tremendous expense the famous hanging gardens. In reality, these were immense terraces placed on top of each other until they reached the height of the city walls. On these were planted beautiful shrubs and flowers. This great city was the one of the most beautiful and famous of ancient times. And into this environment stepped these four young men into the fast lane, 14 years of age. And they knew that they'd never go home again. They'd probably never see their parents again. They had never heard a word from them into this hubbub of activity, they were to be molded in to Babylonians. You talk about pressure and challenge. Let me pause to ask a question tonight. How many of you young people from 14 to 20, how many of you could have endured the pressure of that, I wonder? Maybe a more important question than that is this. How many parents tonight have prepared their children for such a challenge as that? How many parents have prepared their children to endure something like that? New circumstances, new name, new lifestyle. And verse 5 said that the king selected a whole new diet for them. He literally made a training table for them. And they gave them wine that he himself drank from his cellar, the best wine. Now remember that they were told to eat meat that had been offered to idols. And any good Jew is repulsed by that. And no doubt they were given meat that to a Jew was defiled, was ceremonially unclean. And they were told there was this table 
training table prepared for them to eat. One last little pressure was laid on them. Their names were changed. Now, Daniel's name was changed to Belteshazzar. Now, Bel was the chief god in Babylon. So literally, the word means the prince of gods, Belteshazzar. Shadrach was given, that name was given to, the other, to another boy. The word means inspired by Shad, inspired by the God of the sun. The third boy, Mishael, was given the name Meshach, and it means who is like Shad, the God of Myrrh, and Abednego, or Abednego, servant of the shining fire, the fire God. Now watch this carefully. Their names were changed so that they were named after the four major gods of Babylon. Now put this all together, if you will. Here's a 14-year-old boy taken off into exile, given a three-year graduate course in the philosophy of Babylon, emasculated, made into a eunuch, put in this environment of glory and prestige and power, and given the names of gods. In essence, the test is this. Do I maintain my commitment to the God, or do I bow to the challenge that enables me to give my life to the gods. Now Daniel's pretty quiet from verses 1 through 7, but verse 8, he passes the test with flying colors. Now young people, college students, listen here. But, G. Campbell Morgan says that's the most glorious word in all Scripture. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. He made up his mind. He would not defile himself. Now, how does Daniel pass the test? He passes the test because of his inner conviction from the first day of his deportation, from the first day he was enrolled in the school to change him to a Babylonian, he made up his mind, he developed this inner conviction. He had this inner conviction that he would not defile himself. The sooner you come to that decision, the better. The sooner you develop an inner conviction that your life belongs to the God, the better. The inner conviction. It's interesting that the phrase made up his mind is a a Hebrew term that that really says he, he, he called, he was called to put something together to establish strength. I need to say that again. Got that all tied up. When it says that he made up his mind, it's, it in essence is saying that he was called to put something together to establish strength. And it's like making a rope. 
so that you put the strands of this rope together to establish the strength of it. And what he's saying is this, that Daniel began to put all these things together that would establish the strength of his conviction. Now, what are the three things he put together that would establish strength? What his father taught him. And what his mother had put into his heart and mind. And what he'd learned at the rabbinical school. He may even had heard Jeremiah preach. And he put all of this together when he was 14 years of age. And he gained strength from it. And it became like a, like a, like a chain, a, a, a rope of inner conviction that enabled him not to defile himself. You know what strikes me here as strange? That there's no bitterness in Daniel. You take a young man and emasculate him, take him away from his family, take him away from his home, and do that to him at the age of 14, and there's not one whimper of bitterness. Notice what he did. Verse 8, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Does that seem strange to you? I mean, he didn't, he didn't pass out any brochures, you know, uh, uh, of rebellion against the empire. And he didn't lead any marches down the street of the beautiful city of Babylon in protest of the king. And he didn't start any hate campaigns. He sought permission. Watch as I read the record. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has appointed your food and your drink for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. He said, I'm responsible for you folks. And if the king sees that you're um, hungry, you know, have that lean and hungry look, he's going to want my head for that. But Daniel said to the overseer who whom the commander of the officials had point, appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given some vegetables to eat. Now the word there in the Hebrew is grain, really he's talking about cereal. Give us some Wheaties. Let us have some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of, of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. Let's put it to a test. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. Now watch carefully. At the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Listen to me carefully. 
you handle the responsibility that God places in your life, you handle that the right way and God will honor it. And you do it God's way and you have this inner conviction that you're not going to defile yourself, young people. And you live your life like God wants you to live it. That is, the real God. And He will honor it. And I promise you this, He will intervene on your behalf and He will make straight the rough places. The beautiful thing here is to observe how God is in control. Verse 2, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim. Verse 9, but now God granted Daniel favor. Verse 17, and, for, and as for these ewes, God gave them. You might ask, where is God in all of this? He's in Babylon and he's honoring the commitment of Daniel and his friends. And God turned the table. And he gave them this super intelligence so that at the end of the three years, they had this, watch this, they had this uniqueness about them, this distinctiveness about them that caused them to stand out from all the others. They were greater than everybody else. You know what he's saying? He's saying you do it God's way and God will give to your life a uniqueness and a distinctiveness that is unquestioned and unmistakable. You can just count on it. Find a young man or a young woman who has decided that they're not going to defile themselves regardless of what temptation comes. And you'll notice in them a uniqueness and a distinctiveness that sets them apart from all the rest. And there's an inner beauty and there is an inner intelligence. The psalmist said that God makes me smarter even than my teacher. There is an intelligence, there is a uniqueness, there is a supremeness, a sovereignty about them. Now what if your child tonight is going off to, the, to boot camp or to the university or to an apartment? Are they prepared for that? Now there are two final thoughts. I want you to get these final thoughts. Inner conviction, point one. Inner conviction can overcome any outer pressure. Inner conviction can overcome any outer pressure. Now the real issue tonight with regard to temptation is not the outer pressure. I'm just glad that I don't have to live as a, as a young 14 year old in this day. It was bad enough when I was, you know, back before the invention of the wheel, before sin was invented. It was, it was, it was bad enough back then. And I just hear it all the time. Man, do kids have pressure this day and time. Let me tell you, the problem is not the outer pressure. 
The problem is the lack of inner conviction. For inner conviction can withstand any outer pressure. And I have observed, and I could call their names, and so can you. Young people who have been under the worst kind of pressure. I mean, what could be worse than this? I mean, he didn't even have a bad attitude. What could be worse than the pressure this young man was under? And I have seen, and I can name, you can name them, people who have the same kind of pressure that you and I have under the same kind of outer pressure who have stood the test and won. And how did they do it? Because they had made up their mind and there was this inner conviction. And when you have that, you can take anything. Second point. A God-honoring conviction yields a God-given reward. Now, there are all kinds of rewards. And there are some rewards that the world gives. And there are some rewards that God gives. And when a person develops a God-like conviction, he has a God-given reward. And the amazing thing about all of this is, is that when the story of Daniel unfolds, the strongest man in Babylon was this young man. And the smartest man in Babylon was this young man. And the man who had it all together was this young man. And the people we envy and we make heroes out of are the people who have the least. And so you and I go home and we'll turn on the television and we'll idolize and we'll all revere and we'll almost worship these people who are empty. And here are these Daniels of the earth who have this inner conviction with a God-given reward and it happens as sure as I'm standing here. You give your life to God and refuse to be defiled. And God will make something special out of you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the marvelous example of a man taken, young man taken from his home, from everything that's secure put under the test, the fire, because of what he put together from his childhood, had the inner conviction that you blessed and honored. God, please give us 
more young men, more young women just like him. And give us parents, O oh Father, that are committed enough to teach, and to train, to instill in the heart and lives and minds of their children that which will endure test. Forgive us because we've neglected that. For I ask in Jesus' name and for His sake. I wonder if there's someone here tonight who would respond to public invitation to give your life to Christ. To surrender your life to Jesus Christ. First time decision. Or maybe some young person who come tonight to say I want my life to belong to him it's not for sale maybe you need you want to come and join the church whatever God would put on your heart to do as our prayer you'll do as we stand sing come